You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. So welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Carol Feniza. Carol has a passion for storytelling ever since crafting articles for her college newspaper. She was a former sports writer for the Orange County Register and a regular contributor to Orange Coast Magazine. She's the author of The Survival, Survival, geez, that's a, that's a plan words there. Look at that. (laughs) Survival Handbook for Land and Sea, A Girl's Guide to Life at the Beach. That sounds uh, very interesting. And Murder and the Murder on Hollywood Beach is Carol's debut novel in the Messy Girl Murder series. Her latest book is Murder on Hollywood Beach. And here to talk about that and so much more (laughs) is Carol Fenizek. Welcome to A Quirky Story, Carol. Oh, thank you, Michael. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Well, I'm thrilled. Exciting. To, I'm thrilled and excited to have you here on this St. Patrick's Day where you are wearing green and I am wearing uh, some shade <laughs> of, of green. Um, but Carol, I always ask people the same question as we begin these conversations. I'm curious to know, where does your story as an author and writer begin? So the story begins uh, on Hollywood Beach. <laughs> Big mystery, right? Um <laughs> mentioned something when we were talking about backstory, like how, how do authors find that story and then lay it out, put it in words from start to finish. And so my backstory a little bit, how the impetus of this novel started um, a while ago, and it was like the perfect storm. So my husband had been diagnosed with cancer when I learned that my daughter uh, was an alcoholic and it was, you know, just a, a, just a horrible crisis in my life. But because I'm like a glass half full kind of person, I, I, what I couldn't control in my real life, I tried to figure out a way to control in my imaginary life. And so I envisioned this character, Amanda, that was sort of uh, really inspired by my daughter's situation. And from there, I just, I spent a weekend on Hollywood Beach. It's this beautiful little beach south of Santa Barbara. And I started crafting, and I think all authors can relate to this, is what if? So what if this girl who's struggling (laughs) with her own crisis in her life, she's been kicked to the curb, she's had, you know, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And what if she's finally getting back on her feet when this, her her ex-husband's wife is found murdered on the beach? And 
it was a crisis that I saw unfolding in my own life with my daughter and my husband. And in long hours in waiting rooms at doctor's office, I started to put together this story based on this girl, very smart, very well-educated, and but for drinking, made all the bad, worst choices in her life. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, I mean, in a way, you know, you're using writing, you know, obviously you're, you're following your curiosity, which I think, you know, most authors, you know, I think curiosity is the superpower of most authors. Um, but you're using it to like create a world that you can control. And it's almost, it sounds like it's almost therapeutic, you know, for, for you. I think it, well, I, again, like having, not having a whole lot of experience with the disease of alcoholism, I was like the great problem solver and trying to solve the problems for my daughter and hitting the wall every single time, trying to do research to find a way out of my husband's cancer, hitting the wall. And I could create this character that was seeing light at the end of the tunnel, was finding a way out. And it was therapeutic. I cannot tell you, and every author will know this, is living in their imagination is sometimes easier than living in real life. And you can set up these obstacles and you can figure out, you can figure a way out for the character. And even though this character is kind of a ditzy, you know, Bridget Jones, Nancy Drew, this is not a hardcore, gritty, you know, Patricia Cornwall, Stephen King mystery. It's, it's kind of a fun mystery, but if you read it, you'll see it's very poignant in parts. Well, yeah, you know, to me it is. Well, I, I want to take a, a, a few steps back and just really understand that. When did you, when did you, you know, realize that you had a talent for, for writing and, and a talent for storytelling? I mean, how far back does that go? So I, my first job out of college was a sports writer and I knew nothing about sports. I'm truthfully, I, I honestly have to admit, I'm not very athletic, but I went into, I love sports. I mean, that is like my passion. Um, but so I went into the first little paper I worked for was a, a little weekly in my town, Dana Point. And I went in. And I had a clip file from college and I said, oh, I want to get <laughs> said to the receptionist, I'd like, um, I'm going to apply for a job as a reporter. She goes, oh, well, you know, like, just wait here one second. I'll be right back. The editor of the paper, Keith Thursby, who is a, a brilliant sports writer from worked for the LA Times his whole career, came out. And he said, I didn't know Keith at the time, and said, um, yeah, so what would you like to write? And it just popped in my mind, sports. And uh, he said, okay, when can you start? And I said, well, now. So we went in <laughs> into the editorial room, and I started working on little stories, um, you know, Little League Baseball and 
high school football and really innocuous kinds of stories until eventually getting a job at the register and writing more in-depth stories, really feature stories on sports people. How did you, I mean, how did you handle sort of not really, I mean, being a fan of sports, but not knowing much about them uh, and turning that into a job where you're writing about them? Um, how did, how did you, how did you do, did you do that? <laughs> do, do I have to reveal all? Okay. <laughs> so Keith was a great editor and the thing, and really this was his first real um, job as an editor out of, out of college. Um, but I had a handy little guide called the LA times. And so I read all those articles and one of my, uh, uh, journalism teachers in college said, write copywriting, copy, whatever, whoever you love, copy their style, write like they write. And until you really find your voice and eventually it'll come. So that's with Keith's help and my handy tool of using the LA Times, I kind of, kind of got it. And I don't know if I was a terrific sports writer, but I loved it. So much fun. So as we, as we continue our trip into the past, I want to go even further. Like when you were sort of in grammar school, um, did you know that you had a, a, a talent for writing? Did you know that that was, you know, um, something you were interested in or, or did that come later on? No, I was always a writer. I dreamed of being a writer. I was, um, wrote the school play in sixth grade and they, you know, do you remember what the play was? Oh, it was so silly. I, of course I do. I mean, it's like my first success as a writer. (laughs) In In sixth grade, your first success. That's fantastic. It was great. Oh, it was great. My best friend, who's still my best friend, pushed me off the stage when I was announcing. <laughs> anyway, um, it was based on Puff the Magic Dragon. Can you believe it? And it was a contest. It was uh-huh. a contest between the two sixth grades. So we all had to write, you know, whatever version we imagined of the story. I, I can't really tell you how that story unfolded, but I just remember that was the title and they did it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So that's your first taste of success. And there was, was there no going back after that? There was no going back, but it was a bumpy road. I got to tell you, I was, I was not, I mean, in junior high, I, I was a horrible speller. I've got to tell you, and I don't think I was any better with grammar and I, you know, one of my electives was creative writing and the teacher came and said, Carol, you know, I'm really sorry, (laughs) but you may consider doing something else. And wow. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because so many authors I talk to tell me about, you know, that fifth grade teacher who (laughs) saw the potential in them and encouraged them (laughs) to write. And it sounds like you had the opposite middle school. Yeah, I do think I had the opposite. But, you know, one of the things I guess is um, I've always pushed through those kind of like negative things. I was grew up in a house with six kids and a very chaotic childhood. And so it's sort of like 
somebody was always saying no. And I was always saying, yeah, but I can do that. Honestly, I, I think about when I walked into that, that first job and said, I'm a sports writer. I'd like to write sports, not knowing a thing about it, really. And, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, there's a few characteristics of, of writing um, and being an author that um, that I think are kind of must haves. Obviously, the first is curiosity. And we, we kind of talked about that. You know, you were curious, you know, sitting on on the beach and thinking about sort of an event unfolding and creating this world that you can control when so many things in your life were really just outside of your control. But you follow your curiosity there. Um, it also takes a lot of vulnerability, um, which we haven't talked about so much. Maybe we will. But there's this this idea of persistence that is so critically important um, as as a writer and, and an author, because you hear no. I mean, you heard no from in middle school. You hear no from your parents. And, 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 and I mean, it's one of the favorite words in our household. But um, you've got to persist through that because you're going to hear no through agents. You're going to hear no through publishers. Um, but that persistence is, you know, I think a lot of authors think, hey, I've got the talent to do this. But the big question in my mind is, do you have the persistence to, to be able to see it through to, to the end? Yeah, I think it can be a very demoralizing any writing that you're exposing yourself to the public um, can be demoralizing, but truly you have to push through that. And going back to what you said, persistence. So I was rejected many times and only during COVID did I pick that novel up that kind of had been sitting there you know, uh, real life gets in the way of, you know, a lot of different things and say, hey, well, maybe this, you know, has a chance. Maybe I could, you know, update it, rethink a few things and see where it goes. And a lot of it, I reached out where I hadn't before. I reached out to some really good friends that are, were authors or authors and said, hey, um, can you tell me what, what was your path? What did you do? And um, one of my really close friends, Nancy Boyarski, nine novels said, Hey, I'll introduce you to my publisher, see where it goes. And that's how this unfolded. But um, for so many authors, they put it in the drawer and they never do anything with it because they've been rejected so many times. And yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's not for the faint of heart. And I always say, um, you know, I'm an avid runner. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. You know, it truly is. But what, what I love about the writing community is that those, you know, people who are, who have been successful in it are usually, and not, I mean, there's exceptions to every rule, but they're usually so willing to share with you their, their knowledge, their path, their story. It's a very generous characteristic. You know, generosity is a characteristic that I find in, in many authors. Oh, we're idiot optimists, okay? We're, we're willing to give it all up to anyone. It's, you know, again, it's with the exception of a, of a, you know, a handful of people, just like anything, just like in sports, athletes or, or movie actors. There are a handful of ultra, ultra successful people 
The others are just eking out this, you know, living, writing one book after another. And we're really not. And I, I really stress this. Nobody, I, I don't even know if there are such people that go into writing to make a lot of money. Right. And in the off chance that you do, you know, wow, that's so great. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's a really I the writing community is so generous because we're all struggling and the one thing I will if I might say is the people who aren't generous who aren't like giving or telling their story to you or sharing their three chapters with you ones who are hoarding their book no one can imitate your art nobody you they can't like just like me trying to recreate a sports article from the LA Times. We can't. It's just, it always comes out in our own voice, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's just fascinating. Just the generosity in the community is fascinating to me. Um, but I think, you know, you're around like-minded people who kind of see the world in a slightly different way. I think that's another super, I mean, authors have a superpower with curiosity, but also kind of seeing the world just a little bit differently than other people. And I, I think the same thing about comedians, you know, we, we kind of see the world in us in just a little different way that, in, in, that, that is just ridiculous enough to make other, you know, other people laugh and have some kind of an emotional reaction to it. What, what I'm curious about was something you said before, you know, kind of sitting on the beach and this kind of your mind wandering, the story unfolds. Does that ever get annoying to the people that you're you're having these experiences with? I mean, do, do they ever find you like being distracted or just like kind of taken outside of the moment just a little bit? Uh, writing is a solitary thing, right? So mm-hmm. you're not, and and really, um, I guess one of the a really important thing is to be with somebody who's also. A, a big reader or, or a writer. Um, my husband at the time who passed away from cancer, um, he was an economist. He was about as far away. Well, an economist with an imagination, Okay, you know, the dismal science, right? They call uh, being I, an economist. I like to have an accountant with an imagination, especially when they're doing my taxes. <laughs> I, continue. I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> I haven't yet done them yet. Yeah, no, no. But so, so I think if you're not with somebody who appreciates that craft, yeah, because you're, there's no one who can help you through this, yeah. really. Um, it's, it is a solitary job. Yeah, no, I remember one time I was, um, I just finished uh, the final edits for um, for a book um, that my editor had had given me. I was on vacation. And I'm like, uh, my wife is like, can you just not write anything um, during our vacation? Because she knows that I'm kind of like when inspiration hits, it just hits and you got yeah. to do something. But also writing is my way of relaxing sometimes, you know, it, it, I, you know, you talk about this world, it's a world I can have control over. I can create, I can find myself in, I can escape in. Um, but I was on that vacation. <laughs> I was, um, I went to, uh, uh, Catholics or I went to church. Um, and, and you know, we're in Cape Cod and like this, I mean, the guy must've been 90, the priest, right. 
So I'm sitting there and I'm like, <laughs> what would happen if he just dropped dead? Like, what would happen? Like, I, you know, what, what would we do? How would we react? And then I'm like, well, what would happen if, if we found out that he was murdered? And then all of a sudden, like I had to leave and go home and just start outlining, you know, what this, what this could have been. And that became the second book in a series that I was writing at the time. Oh my um, gosh. But it's uh, but it just happens. And, and sometimes people don't get that. That's how, that's kind of how our minds work a little bit. Um, oh. and, and it's, uh, you know, it, but it does, I mean, it does take us out of the moment. It leads to funny moments too. I remember when my kids were younger, we have, um, we have triplets. They're about to turn 20. But when they were younger, I would drive them to school every morning on my way to uh, the train, the train station, because I was working in Manhattan at the time. And I constantly I would say, hey, can one of you text me the following line? Because I would think of things in my head as we were oh driving. And, 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 I yeah. would, and, and they're like, you know, 10, 11 years old. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, um, I'm texting them. I'm like, can, I'm like, Maggie, text me, you know, knife found under bed, you know, with blood on it or something like that. <laughs> And she'd be like, what is the matter with you? Why can't you be like all the other dads? And I'm like, sorry, this is what you get. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, you get into the story. And this is true. I really, honestly, you know this. Once you get into that story, you're, you're consumed. You can be so consumed. You can't stop. And, and there's a penalty with stopping. Don't you think? I oh, mean, sure kind of, ah, you, you know, you, because you know, once you get back into it, you're all in. Yeah. Yeah. Do I you mean, write it, every day? Michael? I, I do some kind of writing every day. So whether it's, you know, for, for this show, I mean, I, I write very detailed, you know, notes about each episode. So that's, that's that I, I do personal journaling. Um, there, I'm not working on uh, a book now, but I, I always have ideas marinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, for my, my real day job, uh, it involves a lot of writing. Um, cause, uh, I mean, in addition to interviewing authors, I, I do, uh, I interview people for, for marketing purposes and I'm always writing their stories up for, for my clients. So, oh. I mean, there's not a day that goes by where I'm not doing something, um, where I'm not exercising that muscle somehow. So that's, I was a marketing director for 22 years. Yeah for a big company and same, you know, just the same, just a creative kind of process, different subject, different style, but you know, you're, you're right in the middle of it, writing every day. So tell me about um, your fascination and your love of the beach. Cause I think we, we share that in common. Oh, okay. So I grew up um, in Los Angeles, but my family had a beach house on this little beach in Dana Point, Beach Road. And when I was 18, the family, all six kids, we all moved down to the beach house. So I've lived here in Dana Point from that point on full time. And I've always, I live across the street from the beach. Um, I love the beach. I mean, it's in my, you know, just, I don't think I could ever live away from the beach. I thought about it, but. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I live in, in Connecticut, my town's on the water. I mean, I'm not on the water, but, um, it, uh, I I can't, I couldn't think of living like in a non-coastal area. 
Mm-mm. Um, even if I go to the beach twice a year in my town, you know, it's like, I don't, yeah, you know, I just don't want to be that far from it. So I could never imagine living in the Midwest. Like I I've lived in the Los Angeles area for a little bit. I mean, I've lived in Connecticut for most of my life. I was born in Florida. Um, and my grand, my, my grandparents lived on Pompano beach, which, um, is oh, just, wow. uh, North of Fort Lauderdale where I spent, you know, so many weekends of my life. Funny thing is I don't love sand. No, I don't either. I don't love sand. I hate sand, but I love the beach. Like it's the atmosphere. It's the smell. It's the palm trees. It's the breeze. Um, So long as I don't have to clean sand out of my feet, I'm happy. It's the open space. So I did. I grew up on this beach and right on the sand. And you go to bed every night with sand in the sheets. There's no way around it. Every, you know, barefoot. Your walk, it no. So eventually, I had I wanted to be where I could see the ocean. That yeah. was my, you know, dream. And yeah, but no, not, the idea of living right on the beach was not something I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have some uh, I have some questions for you. The, these are questions that I ask almost everybody. I, I do mix them up a little bit. Um, I call them my hot seat questions. They're, they're not terribly difficult, although sometimes people have uh, have have some challenges with them. Um, are you up for some questions, some specific questions? Oh, I love questions. <laughs> All right. Um, and this is the one many authors have a hard time with. What was your favorite TV show as a kid? Oh, my favorite TV show or, or some Van... or some of your favorite TV shows. Oh, Dick Van Dyke. OK. And I love Lucy. Oh, my gosh. So Dick Van Dyke, um, hysterical. I think it still holds up today. You know, yeah. him, Mary Tyler Moore, um, just a, a funny show. He was in, was he a, in advertising in that show or what? Or maybe I'm getting him mixed up with advertising. He was right. Because I, I know Darren, was, from, yeah. Darren from Bewitched was also in advertising. Oh, um, maybe he was in sales or something. I don't he was, know. He had some interesting, interesting kind of job. Yeah. Right. And he well, said. And then. uh Dick Van, uh, and I love Lucy. Yeah. I love those shows. I remember just growing up, um, you know, because I'm a little older than you. Uh, no, just, just growing up, <laughs> I would see like, my brother and I, when we'd be with my grandparents in Pompano, um, you know, there were three TV channels. I mean, there weren't, we, they didn't have cable. Yeah. So, but they, they had a channel and I Love Lucy was, seemed to always be on. So we it's always, always watched um, I Love Lucy. And fun fact, uh, who played Ethel? Vivian Vance. Um, yeah. Vivian Vance had a country house in the town that I live in, and I run by it all the time. It was just up for sale, and um, it's a cute little country house on this old country road. Um, but that's how they marketed it, previously owned by Vivian Vance. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They were so cute. That was so cute. Yeah. My parents, my dad was in the movie business. Oh, yeah. You know, every, everybody, everybody, if you live in Los Angeles, you're somehow connected to the movie business and my father I was on the sets as a kid growing up of so many different tv shows he did the big valley and Mannix and um TJ Hooker oh I love TJ Hooker yeah TJ Hooker um I it's so funny you mentioned TJ Hooker because I'll be in my office uh, it, I have a home office in addition to, to the studio where I am now. Um, and I'll just go, you know, and, and my wife will hear me 
and I'll just I'll just start singing or humming the theme song. I'll go, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and my wife is like, "Why are you humming the T.J. Hooker theme song?" And I'm like, "I had no idea you even know you even knew about T.J. Hooker. Like we have completely different tastes." But come on, Billy Shatner, Billy Shatner, um, yeah, you know William Shatner, Shatner. Adrian, yeah. Adrian's Med. Um, oh my god! As little co- and then uh, Heather Locklear, a young Heather yeah. Locklear, before she got you know. Um, Melrose Poor Place Heather. and, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, trouble with all the rock stars, you know, she was Richie, exactly. Richie Sambora, Tommy Lee. I think she had a, uh, had a rough go of it with, uh, with those bad boys, those bad boys, those bad wow. boys. TJ, so did you meet William Shatner or no? Yeah, I met William Shatner. I met Heather Locklear. So my brother, you know, of course, there's nepotism in the movie business. So my brothers, my dad did. Um, T.J. Hooker and my younger brother did 90210 or whatever. That is my you're talking my language right there. (laughs) So that, you know, at the same time, Heather Locklear did both shows. Mm -hmm. So I sat and had lunch with Heather. She was such truly uh, such a sweet person. Yeah. Came and sat down with us. Yeah. Yeah. She was. um, Yeah. She did uh, Melrose. And, yeah, Melrose um, Place. And then she did LAX. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know why I know all of this. I really don't <laughs> know. But I love 902 and 0 because those those kids, kids, were the same year in high school as I was. So I got to graduate oh, yeah. with them. I got to go to college with them. We had our first jobs together. Um, we felt the same heartbreaks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. So there's, there's that. Okay. Second one. So if we were following you around uh, as a teenager, um, what albums or cassettes or CDs uh, would we find you listening to? Who were you listening to back in those days? Oh my God. I was such a dork. I was listening to the Beatles, of course. That's not dorky. Well, and then I love show tunes. So all the, (laughs) (laughs) that can be a little dorky. It's totally (laughs) dorky. Oh, totally. I mean, look at, I was, I was the seventies, you know, 60s, 70s. That was a wild time. And I was so far removed from wild. It's uh, no one. And that's why writers write, you know, they get into their own world. I, that other world was uh, dangerous. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day and she, she said to me, she's like, you know, you don't write to become one of the cool kids. Yeah, exactly. Which is so true. Which is so true. I mean, I was, you know, I gave up playing baseball to do musical theater. So it's like that that was that was a shock to my father. But uh, (laughs) next thing, you know, one one day he sees me like, you know, uh, wearing my little baseball uniform. Next thing he knows, I'm wearing tights as a knight in Camelot. Yeah, that takes courage. (laughs) That takes really good self esteem. Uh, yeah, well, I learned it along the way. I didn't necessarily have it, but uh, I learned it. So the Beatles. And did you watch that that Beatles documentary that was out on uh, Apple TV? Yeah. Or is it Disney? I can't remember. It's one of the two. I think it was Apple. I just watched it a couple it was of weeks eight ago. Eight hours of kind of behind the scenes and yeah. a lot of Yoko knitting for some reason. That's what oh, I that's what Yoko. I remembered. Yoko knitting. Yoko. That what a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Funny, funny. All right. So aside from writing, what activities make you happy? I am an avid golfer. 
Really? So I told you. Yes. Yes. I've even gotten a hole in one. Can you no believe kidding. it? No kidding. I've done it in mini golf. <laughs> exactly. No, this was a 174 yard hole in one. Okay. Rolled right into the hole. Yeah. I, I love golf. I'm a golf fanatic. Do you remember what club you hit that with? I do. Uh, it was my five wood. A five wood. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds better than it is. Okay. So a five wood, great course in uh, Mission Viejo, 174 yards downhill. So mm-hmm. look, I hit just a perfect little shot, banked it, and it just rolled right into the hole. And I, it was so exciting. Were, uh, were drinks on you in the clubhouse after that? Drinks were on me, but I've got to tell you, it was so anticlimactic because I was like expecting like I was going to the bathroom and fixing my hair. I thought, oh, my God, they'll want to take my picture. The newspaper will be here any minute. And these guys, I, I drug all my witnesses with me into the into the pro shop. And they're like, oh, yeah, OK, you got a hole in one. OK, where is that paperwork? <laughs> and it was so non-exciting. Yeah, but I, I did go on a pub crawl that day nice. in our town. Yeah. I am um, one of my books uh, is entitled Winning Streak. It's about um, it's about a golfer who wins all four Ooh. majors in the same calendar year. Um, and as he's you know finishing up, you know, the it was the PGA championship. That used to be the last of the, the four majors. I know it's different now. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I'm a golfer as well. Um, but as he finishes his, um, as he finishes the last match where he wins his fourth major, uh, his father suddenly, his father's his caddy suddenly has a heart attack and dies. Um, so the book is, I mean, it's around golf, but it's not a book about golf. Um, but there's a scene in the book where it's a flashback as he's kind of coming up, he hits a hole in one, but no one's there to see it. Um, ah. and no one, and no one believes him, but there was like a little lesson I put in there. This was like one of my, this is my attempt at writing a deep book, um, which is, which is <laughs> kind of a curveball when you're known for writing comedy, but, <laughs> it was, uh, but the lesson there was just because you didn't see it happen. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. So it was kind of like a little lesson on faith yeah. in, 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 um, in, oh, in the middle like of this it. like deep story, but, um, oh God. Yeah. I, I, it's the tree falls in the forest. That's exactly metaphor, it. Metaphor, right? That's exactly it. I came very close to hitting a hole in one once. Um, uh, but, uh, and then I three putted. So go figure. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how close was I? <laughs> uh, all right. So golf makes you happy. How about this? Uh, how do you feel when you're looking at a blank piece of paper or a blank computer screen, depending on how you write? Uh, ooh stressed a little a little bit stressed a little bit stressed like tell me why stress a little bit stressed like a blank you know you put the blank sheet right that first word on the page I think it's a little see I I think maybe you're more of a free-flowing writer than I am um I've got to get out of that habit of editing myself in my mind before I put the word on the page. So yeah, I do feel a little bit intimidated by that blank sheet of paper. All right. Once I get started, you know, it's another story, but. Yeah. You got to overcome that, uh, that stress. And, but yeah, once, once you get started the, and the words start coming, you know, 
you get in the zone. I find that with when I'm writing work for clients and not necessarily when I'm writing creatively, but if I'm, if I'm, if I'm like, I, I run focus groups. So if I'm trying to, to summarize, you know, the big themes of a, of a project, um, that first sentence, I will avoid writing for days. Um, so I can, I can yeah. empathize with you somewhat there. Um, how about this one? What lessons about writing do you feel as if you learned the hard way? Yeah, I, I think, you know, something, the lessons about writing that I think the most, what I would say to any writer like me, you know, I would call me a struggling author, you know, who waited too long to launch myself into this world. Um, it's a follow your, your heart. Do It's a, it's a passion and you take the word can't out of your vocabulary and uh, don't let the obstacles of what other people say or think get in your way. Yeah. Yeah. There's that, that persistence again, right. That you have yeah. to, to kind of work through. Uh, last up here. Uh, and this is the oh. one most people have. Some people have a harder time with than others. But uh, if you were able to write a letter to your younger self, um, you know, maybe it's that that younger self in middle school whose teacher was encouraging her to <laughs> maybe follow a different career path. But you could pick you could pick, you know, how young you want to be in this situation. But you could write a letter to your younger self from from everything you know today. What kind of advice would you give your younger self in a letter to yourself? Well, I would say, follow your passion. Don't let other people derail you. Don't let fear. I think this is heavy, what I'm going to say. Okay. Are you prepared for this heavy, heavy thing? I'm sitting down. (laughs) It's a good thing. No, I really think follow your, your passion and don't let fear. Fear is the devil really to me and be fearless and, and don't let the negative voice derail you from pursuing your dreams. Yeah. Got to silence that negative voice somehow because it comes yeah. to all of us. Right. I mean, it is, it is, you know, it is the reality, you know, um, no matter how successful you are and how many, how many words you've written, that voice will creep into your head and you gotta, you gotta yeah. exercise it somehow. Exorcise. Exorcise. Not exercise. <laughs> you don't want to give it more strength. <laughs> <laughs> you want to throw holy water on it and, you know. Yeah. Give it the boot, right? <laughs> That's no, right. That is so funny. That is hysterical. Well, uh, your latest book, Murder on Hollywood Beach, is out. Where if people, I mean, I imagine so many of my listeners are going to want to buy Murder on Hollywood Beach. Absolutely. Uh, where can they go and do that? Anywhere books are sold. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Love to hear that answer. Yeah. And then if they want to learn more about you, Carol, where, where can they, you know, where can they learn more about you? Do you have social media accounts or webpage social media, but actually, uh, yes, I have carolfinitsaauthor.com pretty Uh standard. And then same Carol Finitza, uh, on social media. All right. Very good. Well, Carol, this has been a fun conversation. Uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, sharing your time w- with me and with us and for admitting that you are on the set of TJ Hooker. Uh, <laughs> that is something I will never forget. <laughs> and uh, I wish you all the best with uh, with this book. 
Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. I loved every minute.